Judges chapter 8. I'm going to read quite a lengthy passage today, uh, Judges 8.22 to verses 9.21. So that's Judges 8.22. Hear now the word of the Lord. Then the men of, men of Israel said to Gideon, Rule over us, you and your son, and your grandson also, for you have saved us from the hand of Midian. Gideon said to them, I will not rule over you, and my son will not rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. And Gideon said to them, Let me make a request of you. Every one of you give me the earrings from his spoil, for they had golden earrings because they were Ishmaelites. And they answered, We will willingly give them. And they spread a cloak. And every man threw in the earrings of his spoil. And the weight of the golden earrings that he requested was 1,700 shekels of gold, besides the crescent ornaments and the pendants and the purple garments worn by the kings of Midian, and besides the collars that were around the necks of the camels. And Gideon made an ephod of it and put it in his city, in Ophrah. And all Israel hoard after it there, and it became a snare to Gideon and to his family. So Midian was subdued before the people of Israel, and they raised their heads no more. And the land had rest forty years in the day of Gideon. Jerubbaal, the son of Joash, went and lived in his own house. Now Gideon had seventy sons, his own offspring, for he had many wives. And his concubine, who was in Shechem, also bore him a son. And he called his name Abimelech. And Gideon, the son of Joash, died in a good old age and was buried in the tomb of Joash, his father, at Ophrah of the Abizarites. As soon as Gideon died, the people of Israel turned again and whored after the Baals and made Baal Bareth their god. And the people of Israel did not remember the Lord their god, who had delivered them from the hand of all their enemies on every side. And they did not show steadfast love to the family of Jerubbaal, that is Gideon, in return for all the good that he had done to Israel. Now Abimelech, the son of Jerubbaal, went to Shechem to his mother's relatives and said to them and to the whole clan of his mother's family, Say in the ears of all the leaders of Shechem, which is better for you, that all seventy of the sons of Jerubbaal rule over you, or that one rule over you? Remember also, I am your bone and your flesh. And his mother's relatives spoke all these words on his behalf in the ears of all the leaders of Shechem. And their hearts inclined to follow Abimelech, for they said, He is our brother. And they gave him 70 pieces of silver out of the house of Baal Barath, with which Abimelech hired worthless and reckless fellows who followed him. And he went to his father's house at Ophrah, and killed his brothers, the sons of Jerubbaal, seventy men on one stone. But Jotham, the younger son of Jerubbaal, was left, for he hid himself. And all the leaders of the Shechem came together, and all Beth Milo, and they went and made Abimelech king by the oak of the pillar at Shechem. When it was told to Jotham, he went and stood on top of Mount Gerizim, and cried aloud and said to them, Listen to me, you leaders of Shechem, that God may listen to you. The trees once went out to anoint a king over them, 
And they said to the olive tree, reign over us. But the olive tree said to them, shall I leave my abundance by which gods and men are honoured and go hold sway over the trees? And the tree said to the fig tree, you come and reign over us. But the fig tree said to them, shall I leave my sweetness and my good fruit and go hold sway over the trees? And the tree said to the vine, you come and reign over us. But the vine said to them, shall I leave my wine that cheers God and men and go hold sway over the trees? Then all the trees said to the bramble, you come and reign over us. And the bramble said to the trees, if in good faith you are anointing me over, rather anointing me king over you, then come and take refuge in my shade. But if not, let fire come out of the bramble and devour the cedars of Lebanon. Now, therefore, if you acted in good faith and integrity when you made Abimelech king, and if you have dealt well with Jerubbaal and his house, and have done to him as his deeds deserved, for my father fought for you and risked his life and delivered you from the hand of Midian, and you have risen up against my father's house this day and have killed his sons, 70 men on one stone, and have made Abimelech, the son of his female servant, king over the leaders of Shechem, because he is your relative. If you then have acted in good faith and integrity with Jerubbaal and with his house this day, then rejoice in Abimelech and let him also rejoice in you. But if not, let fire come out from Abimelech and devour the leaders of Shechem and Beth Milo, and let fire come out from the leaders of Shechem and from Beth Milo and devour Abimelech. And Jotham ran away and fled and went to Beer and lived there because of Abimelech, his brother. This is the word of the Lord. Is that good? Would it help if I unmute it? That would probably work, wouldn't it? They're trying to mute me. Anyway, no one's here to laugh, so you're laughing. Anyway, um, as I was saying, uh, Judges is just, it's just a wild book, and it feels so far removed, doesn't it? Even, to the, even the passage Andrew just read, I mean, you just, you've got all this crazy stuff happening. So how are we supposed to, you know, Read that and then go, oh my gosh, okay, well, anyway, back to the normal world about paying bills and moving house and doing things like that. But anyway, well, how, how do I get back to the normal life? Let me, let me put it to you this way, though, to sort of so, so that the distance between our lives and the stories and judges don't seem a thousand kilometers apart. I wonder if you've ever struggled with injustice. I wonder if you've ever struggled when you see something bad happen, maybe to yourself or to people around you, and you wonder, where is God? You know, 1.6 million people a year or more are murdered. There is child trafficking, sex trafficking happening, and people seem to be getting rich off of this. 
Where is God? Where is God when a middle-aged man walks out on his wife to go be with his younger-looking secretary and seems to go and live in a nice house? Where is God? Where is God when someone at work gets blamed for something they didn't do and then they get sacked? Where is God? Where is God and all this injustice in Afghanistan happening right now? Does that seem fair? People hanging onto planes, dying? People left? People are now going to be, as you read, conquered by the Taliban, rape, killed, all that stuff's going on right now. Where is God? Today we look at a passage that gives us a perspective when we look at evil and violence and we question, where is God? The Lord will bring justice. It may not be in this life, but it will be in the one to come. Today, though, we get to look at a text where there's this guy who seems to get away with murder. And it seems like everything is going great, but God brings justice. And so I want to jump into it, um, but let me just pray for us real quick, and then we'll, we'll dive into the text. There's a, there's, as Andrew said, there's a whole lot to cover, something like 57 verses in this. So we're not going to sit there and unpack every verse, but we're going to get the overall sweep of this story. Uh, but I want you to think of this idea of justice, okay? So let's pray. Lord, again, uh, we come before you as needy people. Um, we pray that you would speak now. Show us your character through these pages, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Um, I wonder if you've ever had a favorite movie only to have it ruined by a sequel. I know when The Matrix made its first sequel, a lot of people were super chafed. They felt like the whole thing was ruined now. Well, perhaps, who knows, the upcoming Matrix Resurrections will solve that for them or make it worse, don't know. Nevertheless, today in Judges 9, we come to the sequel of the Gideon story. If you remember when we looked at the life of Gideon last week, we saw that there were two sides to this man's life. Part of him simply needed assurance, but over time, this same insecure guy became very arrogant. He was never crown king, but he sure acted like one. We're told that he had a harem and fathered 70 sons. In fact, there's one little sentence that seems like a throwaway verse. Andrew just read it. it, it it's, it's just this one little town outside of where Gideon lived. He had this concubine who bore him a son, and his name was Abimelech. Seems like a throwaway verse. Like, okay, that's random. Abimelech means, though, my father is king. What a name. <laughs> My dad is king. It's a bit ironic and telling of Gideon, don't you think? And if Gideon had a tendency to flirt with kingship, his son had a bloodthirsty appetite for it. As soon as he's of age, he, goes, he wastes no time. He goes to his mom's side of the family that they live in this town called Shechem. Now, Shechem wasn't any ordinary suburb. Okay, It's not just a suburb that you just sort of drove through, like some suburbs here on the coast. I won't name them. But Shechem is a, 
It's a key, critical place. This is where God first appeared to Abraham. Father Abraham promised him the land, and what did Abraham do? He sets up an altar to God. This is the same spot where Joshua, after they conquered part of the promised land, gathers God's people together and prays over them. You see, Shechem is a critical spot. Have a look at this picture. And you can see that Shechem was located on a ridge between two mountains, Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim. We'll come back to the significance of this in a moment. But for now, I want us to see why Abimelech heads there. So let's jump into Judges, chapter 9, verse 1. Again, he, he goes to his mama's town here, he, this uh, my dad is king sort of guy. And notice he's very clever. It's like a, he's like a dodgy politician in a way. Let, let's see what he does. Now Abimelech, the son of Jeroboam, that, that's Gideon, went to Shechem, to his mother's relatives, and said to them, and to the whole clan of his mother's family, say in the ears of all the leaders of Shechem, which is better for you, that all the 70 of the sons of Jeroboam rule over you, or that one rule over you? Remember also that I am your bone and your flesh. Oh, how clever. You hear what he's saying? My friends, gather around. You may not be aware of this. There's a real, now that Gideon's dead, there's a real power struggle going on, big time. There's a grab bag for power. Remember, Gideon had 70 sons. You really want to bow the knee to all these blokes and pay taxes to them? Remember, these guys, they don't even live here in Shechem. They're foreigners. They're strangers to you. <laughs> Wouldn't it be better for just one guy to rule as opposed to all these other blokes? And wouldn't it be extra special if that one guy had family ties here? Yeah, that, that would be me. See how he pulls the ethnic card on them there? It's interesting. Well, the leaders of Shechem, they're won over by this, right? They, they even finance a campaign to snuff out the competition. They take out 70 shekels from this temple, one for each brother. Apparently, the value of each human life was only worth one shekel in their eyes. And Abimelech is happy to take the proceeds of idolatry because now he's got some cash flow. And what does he do with this cash flow? He hires hitmen to kill his brothers. Is it just me or is this beginning to feel more like a Godfather movie? It's definitely a sad state of affairs just how far God's people, the nation of Israel, have gone, isn't it? It's also interesting too here. You notice that there's, we're totally off course from this pattern in Judges. Remember, they go off the rails, they cry out to God, God sends a deliverer, etc. Where's all that happening here? You know, where's God raising up Abimelech? It's not there, is it? Abimelech's raising up himself. It's very interesting. Now, let's look at verse 4 together. And they gave him 70 pieces of silver out of the house of Baal-barith, that's uh, Lord of the Covenant, which Abimelech hired worthless and reckless fellows who followed him. And he went to his father's house at Ophrah and killed his brothers, the sons of Jeroboam, 70 men on one stone. 
cold-blooded murder, one-at-a-time calculated brutality. One commentator paints a disturbing picture of this. He says, the scene is inconceivable. One victim after another after another on the same single stone, body upon body upon body, dispatched in unspeakable horror in a kind of slaughter reserved for animals. Again and again and again until all 70, save one, have been eliminated from possible usurpation of his throne. You know, as wicked as this was, the plot appears to be going according to plan, though. It seems that they got away with it, except for one small problem. The end of verse 5 tells us the youngest brother managed to hide and escape. Just after they crown Abimelech near this tree, everyone's in good spirits, right? High-fiving each other, knuckle bumps all around. And suddenly, they hear this voice off in the distance, shouting, screaming, Sounds really judgmental. It kind of throws a bit of a wrench into their party, and they go, what's going on? And they look, and off in the distance, there on the mountainside, is the one brother who escaped, Jotham. And he's shouting down at them, saying, everyone quiet, quiet. What's he saying? What's he saying? What's striking about this scene, if you look at this picture again here, Shechem is in the middle of this valley. Jotham is standing to the left there on Mount Gerizim. On the other side is Mount Ebal. And I want you to picture this. Years prior to this event, in the book of Deuteronomy, the people of God actually assemble on these two mountains. One represents a covenant curse for disobedience. That's Mount Ebal. The other represents a covenant blessing. That's Mount Gerizim. And here... On this day, on this coronation party, we've got Jotham, who ascends what's supposed to be the mountain of blessing, but what does he call down? A fiery curse. He confronts them with the evil they had done, and he does so through a fable. You have to see this fable for yourself, because no joke, there are trees and plants speaking and acting to, with each other and acting like humans. It's like something out of the Lord of the Rings. You picture the big trees or, you know, whatever. Look at this. In verse 8, the trees, this is, so this is what he says. This is how he begins his rebuke of them, right? He says, the trees once went out to anoint a king over them. And they said to the olive tree, reign over us. But the olive tree said to them, shall I leave my abundance by which gods and men are honored and gold holds sway over the trees? So, you know, you got first there, a tree that's concerned, notice, not about himself, but about others. Could you already catch that? About what he does for other people. So then they say, okay, fair enough. And the tree said to the fig tree, you come and reign over us. But the fig tree said to them, shall I leave my sweetness and my good fruit and go hold sway over the trees? And the tree said to the vine, you come and reign over us. But the vine said, shall I leave my wine that cheers God and men and hold sway over the trees? See, these three were decent candidates for kingship, right? They, they all produced good things that brought joy to people. They were kind of plant life that grew on the Mount of Blessing and represented God's rich provision, but none of them was willing to rule over the others. Nonetheless, the forest persisted, right? They wanted a king no matter what the cost. So in verse 14, 
they turned to a thorn bush. Notice, then all the trees said to the bramble, you come and reign over us. And the bramble said to the trees, if in good faith you are anointing me king over you, right? If you're not playing games with me, then do this. Then come and take refuge in my shade. But if not, let fire come out of the bramble and devour the cedars of Lebanon. Crazy picture there. What's a bramble? A bramble is a short, scrubby, weedy nothing. It sits maybe a meter at the most, give or take, off the ground. The shrub is a nuisance. It has thorns, and it's extremely flammable. It's a fire hazard. Not to mention, it's too short and scraggy to provide any shade from the heat. So what a ridiculous scene for these massive trees, the cedars of Lebanon, to sort of get down underneath its shade. It can't shade you at all, and if you get close enough to the thing, you're going to get either burned or pricked. The point of this fable, though, as interesting as that is, what has an application, doesn't it? It's not like he just wants to, hey, everyone, I'm going to tell you an interesting story about trees. The application is to what the citizens of Shechem have done by giving their, loyal, their, their uh, loyalty, whatever, to Abimelech and the way in which they did it. And Tim Keller has a nice um, paraphrase of this part, of the next uh, part of the speech here. He just paraphrases it nicely. He says, if you've been fair to Gideon's family, so that he's pre- pretending like he's Jotham here, he says, if you've been fair to Gideon's family and making Abimelech your king, and let's face it, you haven't, but if you have, then may you find great blessing and the rule of King Abimelech. But if you haven't, and let's face it, you haven't, then I hope you and he get what you all deserve. You burned by him, and he burned by you. And that's exactly what happens. After, and, you know, after delivering this indictment, normally, you know, it's not like they're all going to cheer, right? <laughs> you have to run for your life if you're Jotham and you just said something like that, which he does, but here's the frustrating part. As powerful as this speech was, several years go by, and do you know what happens? Does fire come out? Does a lightning bolt come from the sky? No, nothing. Seems like they all live happily ever after. The guy runs for the hills, he runs to beer, hangs out there, and it's almost like you can just kind of go, whatever. Three years, it's a long time. If you're Jotham too, you're probably wondering, seems like I got that one right, but maybe I got the script wrong. Did I get the right memo? You're waiting for justice to happen. Where is God? No lightning bolt from heaven, no fire. You might have thought that maybe God doesn't care. Maybe he's off on holiday somewhere, allowing people just to commit these brutal acts. But all that's about to change. The rest of the story plays out just as Jotham predicted. And here's the buzzwords I want you to look at, to catch. Things like avenge, repay, payback, all themes about judgment. As Barry Webb says, God causes the evil that Abimelech and the men of Shechem do to rebound on their own heads. That's spot on. If you're tracking along, now it starts in verse 22. Verse 22, Abimelech ruled over Israel three years, and God sent an evil spirit between Abimelech and the leaders of Shechem. 
and the leaders of Shechem dealt treacherously with Abimelech. You know, it's interesting there. Did you catch that? Up to this point, the spirit of the Lord comes upon judges, right? Othniel, Ehud, Gideon. But now he functions as a spirit of division. The first judgment there is creating domestic instability, if you keep reading with me. Notice verse 24, that the violence done to the 70 sons of Jeroboam might come on their blood, be laid on Abimelech, their brother, who killed them, and on the men of Shechem, who strengthened his hands to kill his brothers. And here comes the domestic instability. Notice these, these guys were, who were once close allies become mortal en- enemies. <laughs> verse 25, and the leaders of Shechem put men in ambush against him on the mountaintops, and they robbed all who passed by along the way. And it was told to Abimelech. The highway robbery that's going on is designed to hurt Abimelech's income and to give him a political black eye. If this guy can't protect us from the highway bandits, then what good is he? And their displeasure with Abimelech and his leadership only increases when a younger, better-looking, smooth-talking Gale shows up. It's interesting, too. Did you notice there that it was reported to Abimelech? Why does he care? He doesn't really care about the good for his people. They're being robbed on the highway. What, what, does, what does that, why can't, what does, he can't be bothered until his throne is threatened and a coup forms. And that's what happens in verse 26. And Gael, the son of Ebed, moved into Shechem with his relatives and the leaders of Shechem put their confidence in him. My, my, how the tide has shifted so fast. How <laughs> their loyalties have transferred over to this next guy. Did you notice that? It's fascinating how they switch their allegiance. Not only that, they throw a raging party for Gale and his mates. Someone runs to the bottle they grab stacks of grog, they come back into the temple and they all get sloshed. And as they're there drunk, Gale stands up on the pub, bar, whatever, and he goes, I have a, sp-, you know, drinking and politics never mix, right? Quite well. Stands up on the bar, I, you know what? I have something to say. He's got some tough guy juice in him now, right? You guys shouldn't be serving this shrub, this thorn bush, Abimelech. Why are you serving a guy like that? He's a loser. Oh, if you guys only had a strong, brave, drunken leader like myself, imagine how much better this can whole situation can be. In fact, if Abimelech were here, I'd go MMA with him right now and go knuckle to knuckle. I'd fight him. And everyone goes, woo, yeah. Not only that, it's interesting too. History repeats itself. He pulls, remember, Abimelech is, his dad isn't from Shechem. Only his mom's side is, right? So he pulls the ethnic card even to a greater degree and he goes, and this foreigner over here, he's only a half Shechemite. I am a true Shechemite, right? This is like he's ultimate, you know, xenophobe sort of guy. And he goes, we have to get rid of this guy. And then so this one, one of the uh, military commanders overhears this and he sends a message to Ambibelech and he goes, oh, you better get back here. I don't know where, why Abimelech's out of his kingdom 
out of his little city-state of Shechem, but he's not there. So he goes, I'll sort it out for you. You need to come and invade. Take over, otherwise the whole town's going to get taken over by Gale and all of his companions now. So the next morning, Gale wakes up, rubbing the sleep out of his eyes, stands in the city gate. Oh, he's got a massive headache. He looks up on the hills and he sees what it seems like to be people, soldiers coming down from those mountains. And he turns to the deputy there, to, you know, the general of the town, and he goes, seems like there's men coming down from the hills. And Zebal, that's the deputy, he goes, ah, oh, mate, you're still hungover. Just, you know, just let, let it go. Okay. And then he looks again, he goes, seems like there's another company coming up straight through the middle. And then he goes, oh, you big trash talker, why don't you go ahead and fight him now? Throws the gauntlet down, and there goes Gale, but he gets whooped by Abimelech and all of his boys. And Abimelech, you'd think, though, that he sort of crushed this coup, and you'd think that he's content. You'd think that he's kind of going, okay, good. I've sort of, you know, I've gotten rid of Gale. Gale gets driven out. No, not a problem anymore. But what he does is he's a very bloodthirsty guy. He, he feels this is like he's incensed that these people dare defy his kingship, right? So the next day, say that this attack happened on a Monday, the next day, Tuesday morning, people go out to work. They're harvesting in the fields, and Abimelech is there in the fields waiting, and they just pounce on these people and kill them. And then they get really excited, and they take over the whole city and kill the people there. And then it's not even going to end at that point either. Do you, remember, do you remember that parable? Remember Jotham's parable? Let fire come out from Abimelech and consume you? You're about to see that, because here's what's happened. This insecure, selfish, self-appointed king, this bramble king, takes a bunch of bramble bush in a sense, chucks it up on his shoulder and says, hey boys, follow me, watch this, because there's about a thousand people left, men, women, and children, hiding out in the temple. Now mind you, the temple that they took the money from, Baal Barith, remember that? To hire the hitmen? They're hiding out now in this temple. It's the same temple, by the way, that they had that big drunken festival in where, you know, the, where Gale made his famous speech. And what does he do? Here's these men, women, and children hiding out. He says, watch this, boys, copy me. Throws a bunch of bramble over his shoulder, stacks it up against the temple, lights it on fire, and the people that are seeking safety and asylum get incinerated. Well, now he feels quite proud of himself. In fact, so much so that he chucks salt, making it unfertile, kind of curses the town. The town that raised him up now, he's happy to level it. And then, for whatever reason, he goes to Thebes, this, this other city now. And this is the part where, remember, it says, let fire go out and consume you, but also let it rebound back on Abimelech. And this part is just, it's just insane. On verse 42, on the following day, the people went out, and I'm sorry, um, let's go to verse 50, sorry. Then Abimelech went to Thebes. And we don't even know why he went there, but maybe he thinks this is a threat. Maybe some of the people in Thebes helped conspire against him. We don't know. But for whatever reason, 
he encamped against Thebes and captured it. But there was a strong tower within the city, and all the men and women and all the leaders of the city fled to it and shut themselves in it, and they went up on the roof of the tower. Now, this is where you expect, once again, him to say, well, I've done, been here, done this. I can just wipe these people out. But there's a woman who sees him down from the window, and she, she's got a bit of a crush on him. Let's just say that, okay? Because here's what happens. And Abimelech came to the tower and fought against it and drew near the door of the tower to burn it with fire. And a certain woman threw an upper millstone on Abimelech's head and crushed his skull. Do you remember, think tit for tat here, think evil for evil, crushed his skull with a millstone. Gideon killed his brothers on a stone. You see the tit for tat, fire going out, stone crushing. It's interesting too, does this, this starts to echo another villain having his head crushed by the seed of a woman. You see that there? Once again. And again, that the weaponry in Judges is quite interesting. An ox goad, a tent peg, a millstone, those are not things that you would imagine for warfare. And yet God uses them as instruments of judgment against his enemies. So this guy has half his brains, you know, hanging out. And, and what is he most concerned about? His own reputation, right? He says, turns to the guy next to him, and he says, can you just run me through? I don't want people saying that a, a girl took me down. I was killed by a woman. It's like unbelievable, right? Then he called quickly to the young man, his armor bearer, and said to him, draw your sword and kill me, lest they say of me, a woman killed him. And isn't it interesting? Isn't it interesting? What did he ingratiate himself to the Shechemites with? A woman, right? He said this, I am my mother's son. I am a Shechemite. Do you remember that at the very beginning? And now, the same man that ingratiated himself and used a woman is now killed by a woman. There's so much irony here. And the men of Israel, when they saw that Abimelech was dead, everyone departed to his home. You know, game over, right? Now, here's the key. This is where Sometimes as you read narrative too, it's helpful to sort of go to the very end and say, is there an editorial comment? Basically, is there a, an, an interpretation to all this crazy stuff? Here it is. Verse 56. Then God returned the evil of Abimelech, which he had committed against his father, in killing his 70 sons, 70 brothers. And God also made all the evil of the men of Shechem return on their heads. And upon them came the curse of Jotham, the son of Jeroboam. Well, there you have it. You know, it's interesting because you can look at these events. Do you, I want a couple observations here. Did you notice that God is not necessarily, until the very end here, even really mentioned in the text? But the invisible hand of God in judgment is. Even in God's name there, um, it's not his covenant name. Whenever you see God's covenant name, it, it, capital L, capital O, capital, capital R, capital D, L-O-R-D. That means Yahweh, the Lord. Here it's just simply Elohim. It's, it's not God's covenant name. But though the Lord seems absent, he's not silent, so to speak. Though the Lord seems not there, he is. And I actually think that's an encouraging thing. 
as much as, as violent and as bloody as this battle is, we can be discouraged and begin to think that God is completely absent, completely unconcerned about the injustice that happens in this world. And clearly, from this text and others, the Lord is not. God will judge. He will bring justice at some point. Knowing that makes it possible for you and I not to take vengeance into our own hands, by the way. Let me show you what I mean. Go, go to the way to the right in your Bible to the book of Romans. The book of Romans. Look at this text, Romans 12. Romans chapter 12. Verse 14, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Notice, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. If, if, I, if this principle wasn't in the Bible, I know I would have the propensity to say, well... I will be God's avenger, so to speak. I will bring justice about. I, I have a propensity to do that. I was the kid, the first one to punch the bully in the face on the playground. That was just me. I wanted to make sure that he learned a lesson. But I'm told here that actually I'm trying to take God's job description away in a sense by doing that. The Lord is the one that will repay the Lord is the one who will judge. So I encourage you to really discuss this in your growth group, friends. Th this is a, it is such an encouraging text. And, it, and I think it, it's, it's a nice application from this really just crazy passage that we see in Judges 9. And know this. God will bring to justice all those who shake their fists at him, who mock him. You know, the deceiving thing is this. Y you, could, you could hang out with Hollywood elites. You can go to fundraisers in New York City. You can do a lot of things in this world and the world applauds you for your defiance against God. But one day, one day, the Lord's not going to turn a blind eye to that. He may not judge you now, but one day he will. So friend, where are you sitting now? Are you ready to meet God? 
If you have not fled to Jesus Christ for mercy, do so. You will meet God in judgment. He will make good on his word. If you know Christ, you can cling to him even now, just thinking that God should judge you and me for all the sins that we've done. But if we know Christ and we're trusting him, he has actually, that judgment fell onto his son. He made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let's cling to that truth now as we sing this last song. Let's pray though as, we, as uh, the boys come up to close us up. Lord, thank you for this text. Um, Lord, we, we are reminded again that vengeance is yours. You will right every wrong. Lord, for those of us that feel taken advantage of and irritated and, and ready to lash out on co-workers, we pray that you would give us uh, the strength by your spirit to not repay evil for evil, but to trust you. And by doing so, heap burning coals on their heads to love them and to pray for them. Not to be doormats, Lord, but to be stalwart in our faith in you, trusting that you're sovereign over every person, difficult or not, that you put in our lives. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.